we'll be looking at 1 John chapter 4 today. We're going to launch into our second annual Bold Faith Initiative. And the emphasis this year is on true love. It takes a bold faith to risk a true love because love is fraught with dangers. It's risky. C.S. Lewis put it, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. Yet I hope that you'll risk it, that you'll love. It's worth it, and this morning I want to show you why. Throughout this month, churches all over Branch County will be reflecting on the same scripture texts that talk about true love, God's love for us, our love for him, our love for each other. And pastors will be challenging the people of God to live boldly and to love truly in Christ's name. So are you ready for an adventure? I hope so. So right now, I want you to sit back, buckle in, and hold on tight. Because we're ready to launch. The text is 1 John 4, 7 through 16. Let's read it. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we've seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Verse 7 again. Dear friends, let us love one another, or it could be translated, we should love one another, for, okay, here's the reason, love comes from God. Love comes from God. It's his gift. When we think of God's gifts, we inevitably think of God's gifts to us. But the apostle was thinking of God's gift of love through us. I think that God actually prefers to give through other people. That way he can get more and more people involved. See, all through the scripture, God loves a party. God loves getting people together. And because God gets a kick out of giving through others... It's possible for us to miss his gifts in one of two ways. First, we can miss his gifts because our vision is limited to his gifts to us. And we don't realize that he wants to give through us. And second, we can miss God's gifts to us because he sends them through someone else. And that's not what we're looking for. Today, I have the privilege of being a person through whom God gives a particular love gift, the gift of his word. 
Now, that doesn't make me anyone special. God, you see, loves giving through others so much that he'll even use ravens and donkeys to deliver his gifts. But it does make me blessed. It's a huge blessing to be the channel through which God gives any of his gifts. I hope you'll have that blessing and have it repeatedly during this month of bold faith. Now, still verse 7, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, it's not everyone who does a loving thing who knows God, but everyone who is loving. It's a present participle in Greek. It signifies ongoing action. Love is the characteristic of this person. The love John has in mind is more than a one-time act of affection or sympathy. You know, some people are naturally affectionate and sympathetic by personality, by upbringing, and that's a tremendous advantage, but it's not what John has in mind. He has something more in mind because love is more than affection or desire or sympathy. So follow his line of reasoning. We should love, one, because love comes from God, and two, because we come from God. That is, we are born of God. In the original language, it's something like this. Love is from God, and the one loving is from God begotten. John's talking about people who have been changed, they've been transformed, made new, because they've put their faith in Jesus Christ. They've been born of God, and everyone who's been born of God has the love gene, spiritually speaking. It's their deepest nature to love. Things can and do get in the way of that nature, as John was well aware. But the people who are born of God share the love that comes from God. Now, the way this sentence begins actually emphasizes that fact. Dear friends in the NIV is literally beloved. So the word love is all over this sentence. Beloved. It's the beloved person who can be loving. The person who's loved by God can love like God because he has God's love. I often urge you to to love each other, but that is secondary to and contingent upon receiving love from God. Remember what Brendan Manning said, it's more important to be loved than to love. When I haven't had the experience of being loved by God just as I am and not as I should be, When I haven't had that experience, then loving others becomes a duty, a responsibility, a chore. But if I let myself be loved as I am with the love of God poured into my heart by the Holy Spirit, then I can reach out to others in a more effortless way. In a month where we're emphasizing true love, it's absolutely essential that we start here. Your ability to extend true love to others to spouses, to girlfriends, boyfriends, friend friends, strangers, enemies, even God himself. Your ability is dependent upon recognizing and accepting God's love for you. Do you know that God loves you? Not just in the abstract as a biblical datum, but in your experience. I'd been a pastor for some time before the truth traveled from my head to my heart. God loves me. Not a better me, 
an ideal me. He loves me. It was a revelation from God's spirit, and it makes all the difference. Have you had that? Look at verse 8. Whoever does not love, again, it's present participle, the one not loving is an ongoing action, does not know God. How could he? Because God is love. You can't know a person merely by studying him, unless he happens to be a total narcissist, and then do you really want to know him? To really know a person, you need to see what he sees, sense what he feels, esteem what he values. If you really want to know a guy whose life is all about fishing, you need to know fishing. You need to know what it feels like to be out on a wilderness lake as the sun is coming up and feel the cold wind in your face. You need to know that a fisherman is a treasure hunter who believes that he's going to discover buried treasure on every cast. You need to understand why the fisherman on some level enjoys the rain in his face. You need to appreciate the way his spirit soars when he sees an expansive, brightly colored rainbow stretching across the sky and touching on the trees on the nearest point. You will not know the man because you understand his biological makeup. You'll not know him because you've read his credit report. You'll not know that man because you know his job title at the factory or at the office or even the best catches that he's ever made. To borrow John's language, whoever does not fish cannot know the fisherman because the fisherman is fish. Now, I know that's a stretch, but it point, puts us on the right track. You want to know, I mean, really know the skydiver? You've got to jump out of an airplane. You want to know, really know the mother? Have a baby. You want to know, really know the investor? Liquidate all your assets and put them into the stock market. Do you want to know, really know God? There's only one way. You have to love. You cannot stand outside of love in self-adoration, always protecting, always defending your rights and your property, and ever know God. He lives in a different world. His mind works in an entirely different way. He values different things. Now you may say, yeah, but I know God. He takes care of me. He's healed my sickness. He's provided for my needs. But because he cares for you does not mean that you know him in any way more meaningful than the cocker spaniel knows the owner who feeds him. And yet, what if the cocker spaniel could change, could grow, could begin to understand and feel his owner's concerns and longings and hopes and pleasures? But he'd need a different kind of life for that. And so with us, we little humans can receive a different kind of life one that begins to change us, open us up to new realities that we could never have known before. It's God's own kind of life, not biological, but spiritual, not temporal, but eternal. It's the divine kind of life which God shares with those who believe in and open themselves up to his son. And the energy of this life is love. Without this life, without this love, You'll never know God because God is love. Now, please get this. It's infinitely true that God is love. 
But you can't turn that around and say love is gone. If you turn love, or at least what people call love, into a god, it'll soon morph into a demon. And that's precisely what Western culture has done. It has exalted affection, desire, pleasure as a god, and society's been demonized by it. Idolize those things, and they become gods more capricious, more dangerous than Hera or Ares or any of the gods the Greeks worshipped. But exalt the Lord as God, and affection, desire, pleasure, they all find their rightful, happy place in your life. Now, here's the point. We don't get to define love. God does. But when he defines love, he doesn't spell it out in ink in a dictionary. He spells it out in blood on a cross. Look at verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God doesn't define love in terms of affection or desire, but in terms of giving, self-giving. Love does not mean never having to say you're sorry. One of the most ridiculous things anyone has ever come up with. Love means giving yourself to meet the needs of another. And are we ever needy? John describes that need in terms of sin. The thing that separates us from God and truly from the person we were always meant to be. Sin not only ruins our relationship with God, it ruins our relationship with ourself, our true self. It kills us. Sin has multiple stems. Lust, greed, envy, anger, pride, gluttony, and a million branches. But only one root the determination to be my own God, which means usurping the real God and placing his desires below my own. Sin is not simply a moral violation. It's a rebellion, and the sinner is a rebel. And we're trapped in our rebellion, stuck in our sin, It's become our nature. It is the primary human disorder, a spiritual cancer that eats us up from the inside, and there's nothing we can do about it. If you thought there was, you're mistaken. We can't cure ourselves. Sin separates us from God. It leaves us deathly allergic to him, yet he's the only one who can help us. And so, we can't help ourselves. But the loving God gave himself, gave his only begotten son, as the most famous verse in the Bible puts it, so that we would not perish but have everlasting life. What we could never do, he did. That's love, giving oneself to meet another's needs. And that's what John verse 11 wants us to do for each other to give ourselves, not just our advice or our money or our time, but ourselves to one another. 
I can give money without giving myself. But money without love is just a handout. I can give advice without giving myself. But advice without love is just meddling. Loyalty without love is servitude. Righteousness without love is legalism. Love is at the heart of every virtue. St. Paul understood that perfectly. He wrote, if I give all I possess to the poor, but have not love, I gain nothing. True love differs from lust and from affection, but also from philanthropy and patronage in this. True love always gives oneself, not just one's resources. And that's exactly what God did in Christ. He gave himself. But how can anyone give himself? If he does that, won't he lose himself? Isn't that what we fear? I don't want to get involved with that needy person because they'll just suck me dry. I'll lose myself. How can I give myself? And the plain truth is I can't any more than I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. The only way for me to give myself to someone else is for someone else to give himself to me. I need to receive another's life in order to give my own away. And that describes perfectly the dynamic of Christian love. God pours his love into me, and I pour it into you, and you pour it into one another. But all that love starts with God, comes from God, and is God giving himself away, principally through his son, but also through you and me. That's why Jesus told his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. You don't have to worry about generating it. It comes from somewhere else. But we're afraid to give ourselves away. Afraid that we'll lose ourselves. But we needn't be. Myself is not some static reality. That's a Platonic idea from the Greeks, not from the Bible. Myself is not some static reality that I might recklessly give away a little at a time until I have none left. I hear people have been married for years say, I just lost myself in my marriage. No, you didn't. You didn't lose yourself that way. You never found yourself. That's the problem. My real self comes to me from God, which is why Paul can say that our life is hid with Christ in God and tells us that even now we're seated in the heavenly realms at the right hand of God. My real self is only released to me as I dare to trust God and give myself away. Jesus told us this again and again and again in a variety of ways. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Or whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. And there are others of the same sort of thing. We only find our true selves as we give ourselves away in love. Look at verse 12 and see how this works. No one has ever seen God. That 
truth happens throughout the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. No one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete, or as the King James has it, is perfected in us. That's one of the most unexpected things in this entire letter. God's love is made complete or is perfected when we love each other. So could it be that God's love is not complete, is not perfect without us? Think of it this way. The true church comprised of all those through time who have faith in God's son Jesus is part of a gigantic circuit that runs through time and space like electric wiring runs through your house. God is constructing a glorious temple of this universe where he can be known and loved. But the construction phrase won't be complete until all his people are conductors of his love. Right now, if one of us fails to love, the circuit shorts out. But when the work is done, when we've been confirmed in love and the circuit is completed, the church of his love will light up the universe like noonday, and God will become visible in all his beauty and glory. That's why John says no one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. If we love each other, the light of love shines and God shows up. And you know what? No amount of good preaching and teaching or exciting programming or professional quality music can ever make up for love. We were made for God's love. And we can never be our true selves until it flows unimpeded through us. We were made for love. You were made for this. God made fish for water. He formed them so that they could move easily in water. Give them gills so that they could draw in oxygen from water. A fish out of water loses itself. It loses its fishness. It was created for water. Without it, it can't thrive. It can only die. Now suppose you have a tropical fish and it's tired of the restrictions you've placed on it. And it's able to jump out of its little fishbowl onto your living room floor where it can be free. But as soon as it finds itself there, it finds it can't live there. It can only die there because fish are made for water. If a fish can only be itself in water, what's the element in which a human can truly be himself or herself? If a fish is made for water, what are we made for? The good Anglican teacher, Pastor John Stott, answered that question this way. According to the scripture, the answer, what are we made for? Is love. Human beings are made for love because God is love. When he created us in his own image, he gave us the capacity to love and to be loved so human beings find their destiny in loving God and in loving their neighbors. That is, they find themselves as God destined them to be. So are you ready to find yourself to become part of that circuit that illuminates God's glory in the light of love. The way to become part of that circuit is to confess. The word acknowledges in verse 15 is the ordinary Greek word that's translated confess all over the scripture. To confess Jesus, to go over to him, to acknowledge his rule, receive his forgiveness, 
and sign up to be an instrument of his love. Then the God who is love will live in you and you will find your life, the life you always wanted, in him, where it's always been. But that life only flows into us as it's able to flow through us to others. So let me close where I began. Dear friends, let us love one another for love is from God. Let's pray. God, if somebody's here this morning or listens to this sermon later on who's not part of the circuit, please call them. Fit them in. Make them part of what you're doing and give them your life. And for those of us who already share your life, tell us in ways that we can't forget that we share your life and love as we give your life and love away. Lord, this takes bold faith on our part. And even that has to begin with you. So we throw ourselves on your mercy. Ask for your grace. Fill us with your love for Jesus' sake. Amen.